Hi there, and welcome once again to the Nightlight Podcast. Also once again to the mysterious and very ancient book of Enoch. A large amount of the subscribers to this channel have done so because of my audiobook narration of the Book of Enoch, and that's why we're producing a number of Nightlight podcasts which have more information and insights on this fascinating book. Nightlight Insights. And with me on the show today is Bible researcher and eschatologist Robert Mandelbaum. First, let me ask you, Robert, as a Bible scholar, what has been your interest in the book of Enoch? And does it contain anything that is somehow deceptive or contrary to the word of God? I've read the book of Enoch several times with the uh, King James Version of the Old Testament open beside me and the Septuagint Version of the Old Testament open beside me. And I've gone through it, as I say, the book of Enoch several times. And in my opinion, from what I've studied, I've never seen anything that is written in the book of Enoch that would place doubt in either the King James Version of the Old Testament or the Septuagint Version of the Old Testament, or for that matter, most of the English-speaking Bibles. I found it to give more knowledge, more insight, especially around the time of creation and up to the flood and afterwards. And the edition I have of the book of Enoch was translated by R.H. Charles DeLitt, Doctor of Divinity, from the London Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge in 1917. And what I want to go over today, I want to cover uh, some of the points that Stephen didn't cover or didn't get into it. I'm going to just go over points from the first 20 chapters of the uh, of the Book of Enoch. Now, whether you want to believe the Book of Enoch or, or not believe it, that's entirely up to you. It's the same whether you want to believe that Eve ate an apple and brought the downfall of mankind, or if it was something else, that's also up to you. It's not necessary for salvation. That's right. But if you are looking for expanded knowledge, especially in the early days of creation, the book of Enoch would seem to provide additional and not contradictory knowledge to the Old Testament of the Bible. The book of Enoch, for our listeners who don't know much about this book, is divided into five major sections. The first one of the book describes the fall of the watchers, the angels who fathered the angel-human hybrids called Nephilim, and the remainder of the book describes Enoch's revelations and his visits to heaven in the form of travels, visions, and dreams. On this show, Robert, let's just focus on the first 20 chapters that talk about the fallen angels and how great evil and wickedness came into the world. I'm going to go through not every single chapter, 1 through 20, and I'm not going to go through every single verse in all these. I'm going to go through ones I, I feel I have a significant meaning to us today. Good. And we'll see how this pans out and how this goes. I want to start off though with chapter 1, which Stephen did cover some of this in his, uh, in his talk with you. And this is to just set the stage for uh, what else we'll be discussing. Okay. And chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 is what I'm going to be reading from right now. It says, The words of the blessing of Enoch, whereby he blessed the elect and righteous who will be living in the day of tribulation, when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. The, the very first verse in the very first chapter of Enoch is talking about those living in the day of tribulation. Yes. This is an end time verse. This is when these uh, a lot of these things are going to be fulfilled from the book of Enoch. That's right. Verse 2 goes on to say, Enoch, a righteous man whose eyes were opened by God. Now, we're, we're going to get maybe more into this later. Enoch is not the one who just came forth with the material in this book. It says, God opened his eyes. 
God opened the eyes of John in the book of Revelation. God opened the eyes of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of them. These were not men who were motivated by their own spirit. That's right. But by the Holy Spirit of God, which moved them to prophesy of the things to come. So Enoch, a righteous man whose eyes were opened by God, saw the vision of the Holy One in the heavens. You can read the same thing in uh, the early chapters of Revelation. John saw the Holy One in heaven also. That's right. Which the angels showed me, and from whom I heard everything, and from them I understood as I saw, but not for this generation, but for a remote which is for to come. And in my opinion, I believe since it's talking about the days of tribulation, verse 1, it's talking about the days that we're in and coming into right now, where the last generation will see the second coming of Jesus coming in the clouds with power and glory. I believe that's what that verse is talking about. Signs of the Times. You know, Robert, I'm thinking about how encouraging these prophecies and visions in the book of Enoch of the second coming, as well as the awesome heavenly throne scenes, which are very similar to the ones in the book of Revelation, how encouraging they must have been to the disciples and the early Christians who had known Jesus in a human body on earth, but now could visualize him in his full glory and the majesty of his power. It gave them much to look forward to. That's right. The book of Enoch was actually highly regarded by the early Christians, including, of course, Jude, who was an actual brother of Jesus, who in his epistle quotes directly from Enoch chapter 1, the passage that you read earlier, and he attributes it to Enoch, the seventh from Adam. By being included in the Bible, this passage about the fallen angels has literally become a part of the Word of God in the Bible. And I think that's a pretty big endorsement as to the authenticity, at least, of the first part of the book of Enoch, which you're talking about today. That's right. That's absolutely correct. You're right. It's Nightlight. We'll go on now with verse 8, and it says, But with the righteous he will make peace and will protect the elect. And mercy shall be upon them, and they shall all belong to God, and they shall be prospered, and they shall be blessed. And he will help them all, and light shall appear unto them, and he will make peace with them. Again, we're talking about a prophecy here. That's a tremendous promise right there. A tremendous promise. Yes. We're going to skip to chapter number 5 now, verse 8. And then there shall be stowed upon the elect wisdom, and they shall live and never again sin either through ungodliness or through pride, but they who are wise shall be humble. And how are we going to live never again without sin? Because Jesus took our sin upon him. Right. In the eyes of God, once we have received Jesus as our Lord and accepted his sacrifice to absolve us from sin, we are clean and clear through the word which he has spoken unto us. That's right. Wow, these are such amazing prophecies. All right, we're going to go on to a, a verse out of chapter 7 now. And this concerns the fallen watchers. It says, The fallen watchers, they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. Now, the fallen watchers, those were the uh, 200 angels who descended upon Mount Hermon, which is you know on the uh, northernmost part of Israel and where the tribe of Dan came up against the uh, Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is about 8,000 feet tall. We've got some photos we're going to show you on this uh, broadcast here. Okay. Because Mount Hermon, some people believe, plays an extremely important part, not only in the fall of the Watchers, which is described throughout Enoch, but at the bottom of the uh, Mount Hermon is a place called Pan's Grotto. It's a worship center to the demon god Pan. 
And an interesting thing is that grotto, that Pan's Grotto, it all caved in and it has never been excavated. Really? They have never gotten it apart or got down into the bottom of it to see what's there. They know there's running water. And there are Bible scholars and Bible researchers who believe that Pan's Grotto could be, not will be, but could be the fulfillment of Revelations 8 when Apollyon opens the bottomless pit because it coincides right at the base of Mount Hermon where the 200 watchers came down, intermingled with the daughters of men and created the giants called Nephilim in the time before the flood of Noah. Wow, fascinating stuff, Robert. We're going to go on to chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones and all coloring tinctures. In verse 2, Samyaza taught enchantments and root cuttings, Armoros the resolving of enchantments, Barakiel taught astrology, Kokabel the constellations, Ezekiel the knowledge of the clouds, Erakil the signs of the earth, Shamsi the signs of the sun, and Sariel the course of the moon. Gosh, they were very organized as to who would teach what in order to corrupt the human race. We're going to get more into uh, verse 1 here where it talks about Azazel because it has a very, very strong connection with the Old Testament. The uh, term Azazel, or the name Azazel, is actually found in the Old Testament of the Bible. Really? But we're going to skip now to chapter 9. Verse 6 in chapter 9 says, Thou seest what Azazel has done, who has taught all unrighteousness on earth, and revealed the eternal secrets which were preserved in heaven, which men were striving to learn. Ye shall be as gods. So Azazel is getting a lot of the blame for what went on with the corruption of the earth. And I'm going to read now from something we put up a few years ago on People of the Keys. This is very, very interesting, I think. I hope you'll find it interesting as well. Well, let me read this one, Robert. The scapegoat was a goat that was designated either for absolute removal or possibly for Azazel, an outcast in the desert as part of the ceremonies of the Day of Atonement that began during the exodus with the original tabernacle and continued through the times of the temples in Jerusalem. Throughout the year, the sins of the ancient Israelites were daily transferred to the regular sin offerings as outlined in the Torah in Leviticus chapter 16. Once a year, on the tenth day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, the high priest of Israel sacrificed a bull for a sin offering for his own sins. Subsequently, he took two goats and presented them at the door of the tabernacle with the view of dealing with the corporate sins of God's people, the nation of Israel. Two goats were chosen by Lot, one to be the Lord's goat, which was offered as a blood sacrifice, and the other to be the Azazel scapegoat, to be sent away into the wilderness. The blood of the slain goat was taken into the Holy of Holies, behind the sacred veil, and sprinkled on the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Later in the ceremonies of the day, the high priest confessed the sins of the Israelites to Yahweh, placing them figuratively on the head of the other goat, the Azazel scapegoat, who took them away, never to be seen again. 
The sin of the nation was thus atoned for, or paid for, by the Lord's goat and the Azazel goat. So I'm sure all of you are aware of the term scapegoat, and this is where the term scapegoat comes from. And the scapegoat was called Azazel, and the sins of the entire nation of Israel were placed upon the scapegoat Azazel, and it was taken, sent into the wilderness, never to be seen again. So there's a very strong connection between Azazel in the book of Enoch and Azazel as a scapegoat for taking away the sins of the nation of Israel. Wow, I never knew any of that. Very, very interesting. Okay, we're going to go on to chapter 10 now, a few verses, verse 4 and 8 actually. And again the Lord said to Raphael, Bind Azazel, hand and foot, and cast him into the darkness, and make an opening in the desert which is in Dudale, and cast him therein. And the whole earth has been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azazel. To him ascribe all sin. So, like I say, there's a very, very strong connection between the scapegoat Azazel and Azazel in the book of Enoch, which is blamed for a tremendous amount of the fall of man. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. On another point, as Stephen brought out in his interview, one of the abominations that brought on the flood and destruction of the earth was the mixing of different species. Genesis 6.13 says, And the Lord God saw the earth, and it was corrupted, because all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And Jasher 4.18, Jasher is another book that is uh, considered a pseudopiographical book, but it has tremendous insight in it as well. We're going to get more into Jasher in just a little bit. But Jasher 4.18 says, And their judges and rulers went to the daughters of men, and took their wives by force from their husbands according to their choice, And the sons of men in those days took from the cattle of the earth, the beast of the field, and the fowls of the air, and taught the mixture of animals of one species with the other, in order therewith to provoke the Lord. And God saw the whole earth, and it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth, all men and all animals. Can you believe it? They just didn't do this for experimentation or to create Crimeas. They did it for those reasons as well, but one of the main reasons they did it was just to provoke God. Imagine the wickedness. I tell you, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You don't ever want to just provoke God on purpose. That's for sure. And today you've got guys like that Israeli advisor to the World Economic Forum. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, that's Yuval Yuval Noah Harari, who uh, has boasted that Jesus and the resurrection were fake news. I I saw him in an interview say Jesus and the resurrection are fake news. And he said, this idea of spirit is over. It's no longer. There is no spirit and continue. The the guy is unbelievable. Absolutely. And of course, now with gene splicing and tinkering with both human and animal genomes, they're attempting and probably have already succeeded in creating chimeras an unnatural mixing of species, just as it was in the days of Noah. Oh, yes. I mean, chimeras are are known down through all of history. And of course, you know, people think uh, Greek mythology, Roman mythology is all a bunch of fairy tales made up. Well, it may have definitely been enhanced, but it's based on some kind of truth there. Absolutely. So I'm going to read an article here now called The Forgotten Mission of Jesus Christ on the Watchers, Enoch and Future, Nephilim. Implications. This is from Skywatch editor, I think it's Tom Horn. Tom Horn, okay. But of all the ancient records, the most telling extra-biblical script is from the book of Jasher, a mostly forgotten text 
referred to in the Bible in Joshua 10.13 and 2 Samuel 1.18. You know, I'm going to add a little something here. In Joshua 10.13 is when Joshua prayed that the sun would not go down. Yes. And it said the sun stood still in the heavens. And Samuel 1.18 is when Isaiah told King Hezekiah he would live. And King Hezekiah wanted a sign. He said, you want the sun to go go forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees? And King Hezekiah said, you know, it's no big thing for the sun to go forward 10 degrees, but have the sun go back 10 degrees, which it did do. That's right. Now, according to modern science, according to the laws of Copernicus, Galileo, and even uh, Pythagoras, that is an absolute, complete, and total impossibility. It cannot happen. I'm sure. There's no way that that can be explained by modern science. But if you are a Bible-believing Christian and take the word of the Bible as the inerrant word of God, that is true. And how could that be true if we live on a planet that is spinning approximately 66,000 miles an hour in rotation? Well, another thing about the book of Enoch, if you read the section about the heavenly luminaries and understand it and apply it, you will see how that could be true and how it could be possible, but not by modern science through Galileo or Copernicus. Right. So if you want to read something and understand how a seemingly impossible event happened in Joshua 10.13 and 2 Samuel 1.18, read the course of the heavenly luminaries. It's a section of the book of Enoch, and it will show you how that is a possibility. Well, maybe you or Stephen could do a whole podcast on that section because I have to admit I found it quite hard to picture what Enoch was trying to describe. The thing is, the sun, the moon, you know, it says he calls us the stars by name, you know, Orion, Pleiades. These are not inanimate objects, the sun, the moon, and all the stars. They are animate objects. Like Jesus said, if these should hold their peace, the very earth would cry out. God could make children of Israel from the stones that lay on the ground. Wow. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth waiting to be delivered. How could an inanimate object groan and travail waiting to be delivered? There is no such thing as an inanimate object in this world. Wow. Well, I think I'll have to ask you for a fuller explanation of that one on another show. But listeners, if you're interested in reading the book of Jasher, then I have recorded it as an audiobook in four parts, and you can find it on this channel with a read-along text. The light is always on with Nightlight. We'll continue reading from this article. Some believe the corruption of antediluvian DNA by watchers was an effort to cut off the birth line of the Messiah. This theory posits that Satan understood the Proto-Evangelium, the promise in Genesis 3.15 that a Savior would be born, the seed of a woman, and that he would destroy the fallen angel's power. Satan's followers therefore intermingled with the human race in a conspiracy to stop the birth of Christ. If human DNA could be universally corrupted or demonized, they reasoned, no Savior would be born and mankind would be lost forever. Those who support this theory believe this is why God ordered his people to maintain a pure bloodline and not to intermarry with the other nations. And again, this is what the final end result of transhumanism is. And they go about it different ways, but to have your mind uploaded into a computer where you will live forever. Of course, in John 10, it says, he that climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So we're standing 
where they stood in the days of Noah. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And except those days should be shortened, no flesh should be saved. But Robert, what do you think is Satan's plan this time? You could see it back then that he was trying to stop the pure human bloodline that led to Jesus. But now, why is he doing it? trying to genetically modify human beings. Well, I think it has to do with a tie-in with the mark of the beast, because those who take the mark of the beast are lost, just like they would have been lost in the days of Noah. Right. I mean, I believe it's all working together. I mean, there's so so many aspects, you know, the satanic conspiracy that is going on around the world. You know, you've got the science part of it, you've got the political part, you've got the economic part. Oh, you've got so many parts, but Satan is going to be finally defeated. Praise God. And that is the way it's going to be. As the days of Noah, or as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even under the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Amen. In the book of Enoch, Azadel and these fallen angels asked Enoch to intercede on their behalf with God to forgive them. And there was no forgiveness found. And, you know, why would fallen angels ask a man to intercede on their behalf with God. Is that a possibility? Well, it's absolutely a possibility. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 6. I have to look it up. It says, Know ye not that ye shall judge angels. That's right. So that's a very real possibility that that happened. Yes. Chapter 15. A few verses here. And go, say to the watchers of heaven who have sent thee to intercede for them, you should intercede for men and not men for you. And verse 8. And now the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. I think uh, Stephen brought this out, that the uh, evil spirits and demons that are on the earth today are the spirits of one-tenth of the Nephilim who are cast into outer darkness. That's who they are. But were there that many Nephilim to account for all the demons and evil spirits that are in the world today? I don't know. No, I can't answer that one. But verse 9 uh, reiterates it, says, Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they are born of men, and from the holy watchers is their beginning and primal origin. They shall be evil spirits on earth, and evil spirits shall they be called. Uh, this is in the Septuagint, and the women who cohabited with the fallen angels, the women who cohabited with the watchers became sirens. And the women also of the angels who went astray shall become sirens. And in that day, of the tribulation of the sinners, and the sirens shall sigh because of you and weep. In Greek mythology, the sirens were dangerous creatures who lured nearby sailors with their enchanting music and singing voices to shipwreck on the rocky coast of their island. It is also said they could even charm the winds. And of course, now, sirens and mermaids, these are all again uh, mythological creatures. Or are they? Because the uh, Book of Enoch says they're real. Wow. You can believe it or not, whatever, however you feel about it. Similarly, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, 22, it speaks of satars. And satars shall dwell there, and hedgehogs shall make their nest in their houses. It will come soon, and it will not tarry. That's speaking of Babylon. So Isaiah speaks of satars as real creatures. And uh, we'll put a picture up on the screen of what a satar looks like. Interesting. Satars are generally recognized as one of a class of lustful, drunken woodland gods. In Greek, they are represented as a man with a horse's ears and tail. But in, in Rome... His representations as a man with goat's ears, tail, leg, and horns. Shining bright in the dark night, you're listening to Nightlight. We've been dealing in the book of Enoch. We've been dealing in the book of Jasher. 
We're going to go into the Book of Jubilees now for a little bit. The Book of Jubilees is one of these pseudopiographical books. And again, we've read this, the Book of Jasher compared with the Old Testaments of King James and uh, Septuagint and done the same with the Book of Jubilees. This is Jubilees 10, 1 through 5. And in the third week of this Jubilee, the evil demons began to lead astray the sons of Noah and deceived them and destroyed them. And the sons came to Noah their father and told him concerning the demons which were leading astray, darkening, and slaying the sons of their sons. And he prayed before the Lord his God and said, Lord of the spirits of all flesh, thou who hast shown mercy to me and hast delivered me and my children from the waters of the deluge and hast not suffered me to be destroyed as thou didst the children of destruction, for thy grace was great over men and great was thy mercy over my soul. May thy grace be exalted over the sons of thy sons, and may the evil spirit not rule over them to destroy them off the earth. And thou hast verily blessed me and my sons, that we increase and multiply and fill the earth. And thou knowest how the watchmen, the fathers of these spirits, acted in my day. And these spirits also which are alive Cast them into prison, and hold them in the places of judgment, and let them not destroy the sons of thy servant, my God. For they are terrible, and created for destroying, and may they not rule over the spirits of the living, for thou alone knowest their judgment. And let them have no sway over the children of the righteous from now on and to eternity. In chapter 16 ends addressing the fallen watchers. You have been in heaven, but all the mysteries had not yet been revealed to you. And you knew, worthless ones, and these in the hardness of your hearts you have made known to the women. And through these mysteries, women and men work much evil on earth. Say to them, therefore, you have no peace. We're going to end this particular uh, program or the particular talk by jumping ahead a few chapters, we're only going over parts from the first 16 chapters in Enoch. And we're going to go to chapter 19, which lists what is commonly called archangels. Most are familiar with Michael and Gabriel and possibly even Uriel, but there are four, which is chapter names along with their spheres of influence. And these are the names of the holy angels who watch. Uriel, one of the holy angels who is over the world and over Tartarus. Tartarus is the lowest position of Hades or hell in the underworld. Raphael, one of the holy angels who is over the spirits of men. Raquel, one of the holy angels who takes vengeance on the world of the luminaries. Michael, one of the holy angels to wit, that he is set over the best part of mankind and over chaos. Sarkael, one of the holy angels who is set over the spirits who sin in the spirit. Gabriel, one of the holy angels who is over paradise and the serpents and the cherubim. Remiel, one of the holy angels whom God set over those who rise. We're just going to go uh, over uh, something we've already discussed, just as a parting thought. If you take the Bible literally, backed up by the book of Enoch, Jasher, and Jubilees, the world, the way men perceive it today, the way it is taught, the second you enter kindergarten, elementary school, is very much different than what you were taught to believe. And again, it's including the writings of Copernicus, Galileo, Pythagoras, and others. Just one example that we're talking about, and you can look this up and study it yourself, or go to People of the Keys, we did a whole essay on this, is the difference between geocentrism versus heliocentrism. 
And again, we're going to mention the book of the courses of the heavenly luminaries in the book of Enoch is completely at odds with the teachings of Copernicus and Galileo. With Copernicus and Galileo's writing, Joshua 10, 13 and Isaiah 10, 8 through 11 would be impossible and could not be explained. And thanks so much, Robert Mandelbaum. You'll find the link to Robert's website below and also the link to where you can listen to the book of Enoch in three parts on this channel. Well, that's all for this time. God bless and keep you till we meet again in just a few days for another international nightlight show. Bye-bye.